16 verses 1 to 24. On my pew Bibles, it's um, on page 1206. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 24. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every, each week, sorry, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. (coughs) If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. What we've looked at, but I hope you see the value of why we are committed as a church to expository, systematic preaching through books of the Bible. It means that we don't skip the difficult bits and just imagine, just think back about the things we've covered. Things that I wouldn't touch normally. The topic of sex and all that stuff. I wouldn't want to talk about that in church, but we had to. Uh, the stuff about women and head covering. I don't want to talk about that. That's, that's a hair issue, but we had to because it is the word of God. And so you see our commitment and it is a good commitment. This is how we've received the Bible. This is how we teach it. Systematic, expository preaching through the word of God, through the books of the Bible. Now, do you notice the, the big black box at the end? that he didn't talk about in that video. The final greetings. Chapter 16. Now, this is perhaps the first time I've spoken on a chapter like this. Paul's just greeting people. What, what can you say? What, what can you say, really? But it is our commitment. This is the word of God. It is good for us and we must hear it. 
And we must see it as the word of God. So what are we to learn from that big black box that that guy did not talk about? And so let's turn to God for his help. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us, that all in Scripture is the inspired word of God for our good, that we might know you better and love you more. And so we pray that that might be true tonight as we come to this final chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, friends, um, I'd like you to imagine. Imagine if you were one of those Corinthian Christians in Corinth in the first century. Imagine if you were one of those Christians. You've been coming along to this church for a few years and you're thinking, we're doing well as a church. Converts, there are converts, Gentiles are becoming Christians. We're a gifted church, this is what you're thinking. So many of us are gifted in so many various ways. We're going okay, this is what you're thinking. So just imagine that. And then a guy comes along to church one day. His name is Timothy. He's one of Paul's fellow workers. He comes along to church. You remember Timothy. He's been to your church before. He stayed around at your church when Paul left the first time. And he comes this time bearing this letter to the Corinthians. And so Timothy, he brings this letter from the Apostle Paul. And now you're hoping, Paul's written us a letter, the Apostle. You're excited, you're happy. Let's hear how Paul speaks of us. Paul must be proud of us. We're such a good church. And so Timothy, perhaps Timothy or one of the other Bible readers in the church, they read this letter from Paul to you. You're sitting there listening. And you're listening. And your your eyes are wide open as you hear chapter after chapter. You're gobsmacked. Chapter after chapter. What's Paul doing? He's ripping into you. He's ripping into you. He's not proud of you. He's ripping into you. The divisions I see amongst you, it's no good. The lust you have for worldly wisdom, it's no good. The way you are behaving sexually, it is no good. Your treatment of other people, the poor, it is no good. Your church services, it's a mess. It is no good. It's doing more harm than good. Your understanding of the resurrection, it is wrong. It is no good. You Corinthians, you are still babies. You are immature. You are unspiritual. You should be adults. You despise the church of Christ. Shall I praise you for this, Paul says? I shall not. Certainly not. Just imagine, you're sitting there. You are these Christians in Corinth and you hear that from the apostle. What would you be thinking? How would you be feeling? You're probably sitting there thinking, man, when is this letter going to end? When is it going to end? And then we get to chapter 16. It's going to end. And you're there sitting and thinking, well, one last chapter is going to rip into us again. It's going to rip into us. And so what happens? Well, what do you hear? What does Paul say? What does Paul speak of? Well, as bad as this church might be, Paul, you read, still loves you. He loves you dearly. His heart longs for you. 
And you hear this reader, Bob reader, he hasn't given up on you. He hasn't deserted you. And so how does Paul end this letter to this troubled church? Well, he wants this church to come back and stay in focus, to focus on what is important, to look outwards instead of inwards, to look forward instead of backward, to look upward instead of downward. And that's what we get in this last chapter from Paul to the Corinthian Christians. And so let's look at this. Do have your Bibles open. We will work our way through most of these verses. And so firstly he says, church, look outwards. Not just inwards. Paul wants them, heed these words. These are my final words to you before I come to you. And so focus outwards. Don't continue thinking about your, your, yourselves. Don't continue thinking about who's better in church, who's more gifted in church, who's superior, who's more important in church. Think outwards. Look outwards. Paul gets them to see. The church is bigger than you guys. The church, the Christian community, is bigger than what you're concerned about. And so Paul now speaks, look outwards in your giving and in your support. And so firstly, in your giving, look outwards. You see, these fellow Christians, there were Christians in the Roman Empire who were doing it really tough, particularly the Christians in the capital of Judea, in Jerusalem. You see, in, the, in this time, during the first century, Judea was one of the poor, poorer regions in the Roman Empire. And historically, during that time, about 46 AD, there was in fact a drought. And so this famine brought great, and, great hardship to those in Judea. And so the Christians there in the capital, in the mother church in Jerusalem, they were experiencing this hardship, this hard time. And if you think about it, those Christians were experiencing a tougher time. They, many of them were Jewish Christians. They converted from Judaism and so they would have been hated and persecuted. The Christians there are being hated, persecuted, then doing it tough. And so Paul wants these Corinthians, don't think about yourselves. Look outwards. Be concerned for these other Christians. You're part of a bigger, wider church. Just as Paul asked the Galatians, focus outwards and focus outwards in your giving. There are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people you'll spend eternity with. Care for them. Think about them. And it is our responsibility. And so Paul now gives them principles on how they are to give, to focus, to seek, to care for those outside the church. And so have a look at verse 2. He gives, a, he gives these principles. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so what Paul's teaching there is that he wants every Christian in this church to be considered intentional and save constantly for the church and for the churches. And you see here, Paul makes no distinctions between the rich and the poor. He doesn't say to the rich, you guys save money, you poor serve with your energy and effort and time. He does not make that distinction. Poor, rich, all of you must set aside a sum according to your income, according to how you have prospered. And if you think about that, that is a good principle that still applies today. Chris said we don't speak about giving much, but it's come up today. 
If you have an income, if you're a student, full-time student, I don't know, you know, full-time students are poor, you know, some of you work at Macca's and you work on, you know, 12 bucks an hour or whatever. But you see, if you get an income, you give according to your income. You give according to your income. That's the calling from God for us Christians is to be generous with the stuff God has entrusted us with. And so Paul wants them to do this. Think outwards. Think about your fellow brothers and sisters who are doing tough. Care and think about them. Now Paul, when he comes along, he would send this money along with people that the church appoints and approves of and trusts. They'll be taking their money to Jerusalem. Now I've got a little map of, of what we're talking about. So Corinth in Greece today, that's there. Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was in Ephesus. Paul will say later on that he wants to get to Corinth around that way. But what will have to happen is that they'll have to take the money from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem, which is, that's Corinth there, Jerusalem's all the way there. Now in the ancient world, that's how you transport wealth and money and support. You have to send people and people you trust. How the church appoints people they trust and they take the money along. And so that's what Paul goes on to say here. And so in verses 3 and 4 we see this. When I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to, to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. This is how we can care for them. This is how we can look outwards. It is, if it seems advisable, Paul says, for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, many of the Christians in Corinth, they were Gentile Christians, that is, non-Jewish Christians. In Jerusalem, many of the Christians there, were they Gentiles or Jewish? They were Jewish Christians. And that was the mother church, that was sort of the headquarters. And so what Paul wanted them to do also was to show our solidarity with the Jewish Christians. We are one, we are part of the one church. And so Paul goes on to say, focus outwards in your giving. And it is a good reminder for us, isn't it? In our giving as well, to think outwards. We are on about building the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not just in Surrey Hills. The kingdom of God is bigger. It is not just here. We're on about caring for those in need, for our fellow brothers and sisters in need around the world. We're on about showing Christian love. At the moment, do you know how much of our church's budget goes to outside mission work? Any guesses of how many percent? Twelve? It is 12%. How much does that equate to? So how much will we give away from our church's budget to mission work this year? Do you know how much that is? 20K? Uh, that's only a, a Corolla, a bit more than that. No, it's about almost 28,000. Sounds a lot, doesn't it? 12%, 28,000. We support about 15 missionaries, 15 mission partners. How much does it work out to when you divide it across those? 28,000, sounds a lot, isn't it? But can it be better, let me ask you? 28,000. Can it be better? Do you think it can be better? Divide it over those mission partners and there's not really too much to go around. Now, not that we're planning to do this as a church, but you know, I thought about this and uh, did some reading. Let me share with you what another church is doing in the suburbs of Sydney. I read their church annual report this past week. In 2011, 
They committed, so four years ago, they committed to giving away 25% of their church's budget. That's a lot of money, 25%. But their plan was, by 2020, they would give away 50% of their church's budget away to mission work, to aid. And what that would mean for that church would be to give away a million dollars each year and for that to continue to increase. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful plan, isn't it? That church, they're thinking in terms of the kingdom, thinking outwards. What would happen if we gave 50% of our church's budget away? I mean, that's a noble thing. You know what would happen? Hey? That's right, I'll be working at McDonald's or... And so obviously the church's budget must increase for us to be more generous. And so that church, I I thought that was wonderful to read. It shows a church on about thinking outwards. The kingdom of God does not end where your suburb, where your parish boundaries are. Thinking outwards. We're part of the universal church of Christ. But Paul also wanted them to think outwards, not just in their giving, but also in their support and care. And, and you see, that's why Paul wrote what he did. He showed his, himself as an example. Paul himself was thinking outwards. But we have to remember and understand how radical that was for Paul to think about others. I mean, if you're poor, in Paul's situation, you should be thinking about yourself. He was in terrible times. Paul at this time was in Ephesus. Okay, and that was uh, modern day, that's modern day Turkey. We've got a glimpse of the tough time that Paul was experiencing already in 1 Corinthians. We're going to do a bit of Bible flipping. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's get a sense of the life that Paul had in Ephesus. One Corinthians chapter four, verse nine. Paul says, "God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena." He goes and say, "We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe." Paul is saying, "Us apostles, we're on display for the world to mock and despise." That is the life of the apostle. He goes on to say, we are fools for Christ. We are weak. We are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. Imagine if you were poor. What would you be thinking about? I'll be thinking about getting the next meal, getting warm, staying safe perhaps hiring bodyguards, whatever I can do, I'll think about myself. What did Paul do? Well, he goes on to say, we are cursed, we are persecuted, slandered. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. That was Paul's life. And turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30. What was life like for Paul? He says, we endanger ourselves every hour. I die every day. I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Paul wrote this letter in Ephesus. Life was tough for the apostle. You see, life for the apostle was not the smooth, sailing, comfortable, 
Christian life that we expect as Western Christians, that we demand as Western Christians. Now imagine if you were in that situation. What would your concern be? Well, what did Paul do? Well, despite his constant danger, he was not looking inwardly. He was looking outwardly at the church of God, the universal church of God. He was concerned for them. Now, I don't know about you, but this church, remember that, that groupies, some behind Apollos, some behind Peter, some behind Paul, many of them did not like Paul. Many of them thought, Paul, you're not that gifted at all. I mean, if you're the minister of that church, how encouraged would you feel? I mean, if the vast majority of the church thought I'm a nutcase, I'll find it very hard to love that church, to still be concerned for that church, to pursue that church, but not so with Paul. You see, here we read that he had plans to visit them. I'll find it easy, just avoid that church, let's just plant another church. Forget that church, it's a trouble church, let it be. But not so with Paul, he planned to visit them, to stay with them, to nurture them, to teach them, to love them with his life. And so we see this, verse 5, back to chapter 16. So we'll look at the map again. He says, after I go through Macedonia, so that's up north, So he's in Ephesus, he's planning to go up north, around and down to Corinth. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be gone through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me and there are many who oppose me. You see, that was the reality for Paul. You see, there were many who opposed Paul. And when we look at the book of 2 Corinthians and when we look at the book of Acts, there was a riot of the silversmiths and Paul only narrowly escaped from death. He almost died in Ephesus. But yet he was concerned for them. Despite all that, Paul was concerned for them, looking outwardly. And he wants those Corinthians have that same attitude. Think bigger. Don't think about yourself. Think bigger. And so he wanted them to show that sort of care of looking outwardly for, his, for their brothers and sisters who visit. Those who come to them, show them hospitality. Those who come to them, love them, care for them, provide for them. And so now... Following, Paul speaks of this guy, Timothy, perhaps the guy who did bring this letter letter to them. Timothy was a young guy, a young minister, but he was Paul's beloved son in the faith, a trusted, a true, a tested gospel worker. He laboured alongside the apostle. Now, Paul knew their hostility towards him. And so Paul was concerned that they might show the same hostility towards his young minister. Paul was concerned that they would mistreat him. And so what does he say? Look at verse 10 now. Verse 10, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. Treat Timothy the way you would treat me. And so he goes, no one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace, that is, provide for him so that he can go on, so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. 
And so we see here at the end of this letter, this troubled church, Paul is getting the church, focus outwards. In your giving, in your care and support, remember your fellow brothers and sisters who labour in the gospel. Now last week, who came along? Who was a visitor? Do you remember? Yeah, from Japan, John and Rose Evans. We need to remember our missionaries. We need to know them. They came from Japan. He spoke in the morning, shared in the evening. They are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't they? They're doing it tough in a place that is hostile to Christians, in one of the most unreached people groups in the world, the Japanese. Now, our support of them is not just giving money. It is giving money. But we can't just assume out of the 28,000 we'll give a portion to them and that is it. Is that enough? Does that really show support? Does that really show hospitality and care when they visited us? Now, I wasn't there last week, but I was so glad to hear that one of the families here showed hospitality to them. After the morning service, they had lunch together. They shared, they cared, they loved them. Isn't that wonderful to hear? We need to do that. Not just the one family. We need to do that. And we know that Campbell's right. We sent them off to a place to proclaim the gospel. We know the Campbell's. Recently, I heard, I wasn't involved in that, so this, so no credit to me, but they received a parcel from this church and I suspect really from from the mission committee or whoever organised it. Isn't that wonderful? For the girls there, the two girls, to receive T-shirts. I don't know, with kangaroos or something, to remind them that they're Australians. That is thinking outwardly, isn't it? But that was that same family. We as a church, we need to be thinking outwardly. We need to know our mission partners. We need to love them, care for them. We must do more. So Paul here, think outwardly. But not only think outwardly, Paul then goes on to say, look forward. Look outwardly, now look forward. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians... Paul reminds them that you are the saints of God. You are those set apart for God. You've been called by God. Now remember the idea of being called. You've been called to salvation. That is what the calling is. You've been called to belong to God. You've been summoned by the king of the universe to live for him. And so now Paul gives them some commands so that they will look forward. Commands like like ones to spur up and arouse soldiers to their tasks. Get ready, get prepared, look forward, soldiers. Face forward. And we see this, verse 13, have a look. Be on your guard. Like soldiers, get ready, be on your guard. That is, be prepared, get ready. Know that this world will play with your mind, will play with your heart, will play with your desires. The world will tell you that you're a fool. You're a fool for being a Christian. The world will tell you you you're a fool for not listening to the scientist, the atheist, the PhD person, the Hollywood star, just because they get an act. Listen to them. The world will tell you you're a fool. Instead, what do you do? You trust in the cross. You believe in the foolish message of the cross. The world will try to convince you that death of a carpenter has no power at all. What a fool you are. And know that the devil will also be working, trying to draw your attention away from the God of the universe, convince you 
that you're the centre of the universe. The devil will do that. Do whatever you like with your bodies. That was the problem we saw with the Corinthians. It's your body, it's your right, if it feels good, do whatever you like. Sexual immorality, doesn't matter. If it feels good, it's okay. Don't worry about what others think about you. Don't worry about how your actions might affect others around you. It's all okay. The world will twist your thoughts. Satan will tempt you. But Paul says here, like soldiers, be on guard. Be on guard, face forward. And then he goes on to say, stand firm in the faith. Don't ever think, you Christians, that you graduate from the gospel of Jesus. The cross of Christ never ceases to be the centre of the Christian faith. That is the only thing that saves you. The only thing that you must stand in. You don't move on to anything else. You don't add to the gospel. You don't take away from the gospel. You stand firm in the faith like soldiers. And then he goes on to say, be men of courage. It's actually more literally, be a man. Be a man. Grow up. You're not infants anymore. You're not babies anymore. Be bold in what you know to be true. Be men and women of courage. Be strong, he goes on to say. And then finally he says, do everything in love. Stop this childish bickering in this church. Stop this rivalry. Stop this despising those who don't have. Stop despising the needy and the poor. Stop these silly comparisons of gifts. Whatever gifts God has given you, the church, that is for the common good. Whatever part you play in the church, do it all in love. Let love be the motivator of all you do and how you relate. Stand up. Face forward. Stand firm in the faith. Be a man and a woman of courage. Look forward, not backwards. And now he gives us an example of what that actually looks like. The household of Stephanus. He was, his household was one of the first converts in that region of Achaia, which is where Corinth is in. And what a blessing this household was to that church. Have a look now at verse 15. This family, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labours in it. You see, this household, they have committed together as a household selflessly to the work of the kingdom. That is what it looks like to look forward, to be the soldier of Christ. And so Paul commands them, you submit to these type of people, you honour them, you respect these type of people. You be like them. Now, I want us to reflect a bit on our church. If we think about individual singles and families and households in our church, think about which family reflects that family. Are there many of those families in our church? Are there many families in our church who are selfless in their service? As a family, we are on about Christ. He is what is important for our family. Are there many families in our church selfless in their service, in their use of their homes, in their hospitality, in their loving care of the church, in their warm welcome of visitors? I think there are. 
there are, you need to look out for them. These are the families who model what it looks like to do everything in love, who are moving forward as soldiers of Christ. And so what do we do when we see these families? We recognise them. We honour them. We respect them. We imitate them. And so look forward. Now finally, Paul gets them to look upwards. Here now, Paul, do you see, he takes the pen himself from the scribe and he now writes with his own hands. It meant that he had a scribe. He gets them to look upwards, focus again on what's important. Look at verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. That is a powerful verse. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Paul is getting them. Set your eyes, your minds, your hearts on Christ. Love him. Serve him. Worship him. Give your life to him. He's the only one worth loving, worthy of your life. The one, the son of God who can't die, died for you. Isn't that profound? But if you don't, do you notice how seriously Paul puts it? If you don't love the Lord, he's speaking to Christians here. If you don't love the Lord, the word is, let him be anathema. That is, let him be cursed. Let him experience the curse of the almighty God. Paul doesn't take that lightly, does he? You know, he's speaking to Christians here. You Christians, if you are Christians, look upwards and love the Lord. Don't turn your back on him. Don't focus downwards on the things of this world. Don't love the stuff of this world more than the one who made it and gave it. Otherwise, God's curse will be on you. And so finally, he gets them again. Once more, look upwards. Come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. Do you notice that there? Now, if you notice in the footnote, it's actually an Aramaic word. It's the word Maranatha. Have you heard of that saying again, Maranatha? It's an Aramaic word. It's, in fact, a prayer of the earliest Christians. It's a prayer knowing and trusting and longing and waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus when all will be made right. That is how Paul ends this letter. His prayer, look upwards, come, O Lord. And finally, he sends his greeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Look outwards, look forward, look upwards. Now, this chapter must get us to reflect as a church. It has to. How do you think we are going? Some of you have been at this church for many years. Some of you are more recent, some of you are very new. But how are we going as a church? Are we as a church doing well at looking outwards, looking forward, looking upwards? Just thinking about this chapter should get us to raise our eyes above those blue pews we sit on. We must look out. We must look bigger. This chapter should get us to raise our eyes above what we're really living for, what we're doing Monday to Friday, what we're striving for. This chapter should get us to raise our eyes above even the good desires we have just for this church. 
We want to look bigger. And so how are we going at looking outwards? Well, here's my assessment. I think, yes, we can and we should be thankful to God. Each week when I meet with Chris, Chris and myself, we're always grateful and thankful for the work of God in this church. He's doing wonderful things. There is growth in maturity. There are some conversions. But we want more. Even though we send out many missionaries, even from amongst our own, we should be grateful for that. And we do look outwards as a church. But let me ask, when you read the news, earlier this year, when ISIS was terrorising their way through Iraq, forcing people to leave their possessions, thousands forcing people to leave their homes, many were beheaded. Teenagers were beheaded because they would not deny Christ. When you heard this on the news, you saw it, it was all over Facebook, how many of you, how many of us, was actually deeply affected by it? How many of us thought, well, we must pray for them? And yes, we must pray. We must pray to the God of the universe. But how many of us also thought, this is an opportunity for me to give financially to our brothers and sisters in need and did that on your own accord without the force of anyone, without the guilt trip of anyone. How many of us actually did that? When we hear of these terrible news around the world, how many of us gave to Barnabas' fund? This is real. This is happening. They are our brothers and sisters. You see, we need to be more and more concerned for what happens outwardly amongst our fellow Christians. How can we not be? How can we not be? They bear the same name as us. They are called Christian. We are called Christian. Now, I don't know about you, but each time I do read of this news, each time when I do reflect on it, what these Christians must suffer and endure, it gets me to think and it gets me to see my whole life in proper perspective. The things that worries me, the things that concern me, even as a minister, are so small, so puny, so insignificant compared to what our fellow brothers and sisters are going through. And so as we together build this church for the glory of God, we must be thinking outwardly. We are part of the universal church of Christ. Now, secondly, how are we going at thinking and looking forward? How do you think we're going there? Well, this church, as you can see, is increasingly being filled with people from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and upbringings and abilities and opinions. And that's a wonderful blessing that we get to enjoy here. But is this it? Is this all? Should we be satisfied with church as it is? If our church is like this 10 years' time, would you be satisfied? What do you think? I hope that you'll be a bit like me. Not that I'm wonderful in my thinking, but a bit like me in our concern. We should be grateful if the church was like this 10 years' time. Grateful to God that he has maintained the gospel and Christians here. But at the same time, I hope you feel this as well. I'll be dissatisfied. (laughs) Ten years' time, we want more. 
We want to be moving forward like soldiers standing arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, banding together in the cause of God, on guard, standing firm in the faith, men and women who are courageous for the cause of the gospel, doing everything in love. You see, we don't want to have only some on the front line, some of us Christians on the front line. They're taking the bullets and the rest of us, we're sitting back on couches and enjoying the complacent Christian life. We want to be banding together. We are all on the front line, standing arm to arm as soldiers for Christ. And imagine if that were to happen, if we were united in that way. What a force that will be for our church. What a force that will be for our community. What a force that will be for this world. We don't compromise on the truth, never. We don't get swayed by the fads of this world. We don't shrink away from that foolish message of the cross of Christ which saves. But we move forward together, united as soldiers for Christ. And finally, how are we going at looking upwards always? I mean, we must never lose focus on where our love should lie. Our eyes, our minds, our hearts should always be on Christ. And what a glorious day, that prayer at the end, what a glorious day when our Lord finally returns. And when he does, we will finally see how all our work done in the Lord is not in vain. Now, my hope then is that none of us would feel at that time that I should have done more when I was on earth. I really hope that none of us will have that sense of regret. But what a glorious day that would be when Christ returns. This weekend I was on a conference and I had a really good chat with uh, Philip Jensen. Philip Jensen will be our camp speaker for next year. There's a little plug, awesome guy. But we had a little uh, chat and we spoke about the glorious day it would be when Christ returns. He spoke about the joy it would be to see the Sunday school kids he taught 50 years ago. What a glorious day that will be. To know that you did not waste your life. And this weekend at this conference, I saw these little girls that I taught in Sunday school. They are grown up now. Some of them are even dating. No, both of them are dating. They have grown up, these little Sunday school girls. I just can't imagine. I taught them at Sunday school. They're growing in the faith. They're thinking about how they can serve and give their life to Christ. How encouraging that would be, but how glorious that day would be when Christ returns. And that was Paul's prayer in the end. We pray together with prayer, come, Lord, come. Let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and grace upon us, which we don't deserve at all. But we pray, Lord, that you will help us set our eyes bigger, help us to see the big cause of the kingdom work in this world. And so help us to band together like soldiers, to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous men and women for God and to do everything in love. And we long, long for the day when Christ returns. And so we pray, come, Lord, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.